Welcome to the Healing Trauma Podcast, a space for those who are healing from complex and developmental trauma. Introducing your host, Monique Coven, a certified trauma recovery coach, survivor, and thriver. The intent of the podcast is to provide helpful information with insight that can validate, encourage, and support you on your healing journey. You're going to hear stories from other survivors and trauma experts, featuring therapists, coaches, and practitioners. We will open up the conversation on effective trauma healing modalities, practices, and tools. If you are interested in trauma recovery coaching, as well as recommended books and healing resources, head over to www.thehealingtraumapodcast.com. And now, here is your host, Monique Coven. On today's episode, I am talking with Emily Daniels. Emily is a former school counselor. She's a somatic experiencing practitioner in training. And she's the owner of a trauma-informed education consulting firm. She's also the author of The Regulated Classroom. And The Regulated Classroom equips educators with practices and sensory tools to cultivate conditions for felt safety in the classroom. I love this idea of felt safety in the classroom because there's a difference between safety and experiencing the felt sense of safety. Many of us know that as trauma survivors, where we know we are physically safe, and yet we are experiencing a sense of threat in our body. And when that happens, we know our prefrontal cortex goes offline. We really can't listen or absorb information well. We can't connect. And so this is the same thing with our children and with our educators. And we know that educators are under so much stress and burnout. And this will impact the way that our children will learn and experience safety. So we're going to talk all about that in this episode. So now on to the episode. Hi, Emily. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Monique. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. I'm I'm really looking forward to our conversation about um, the regulated classroom, what mm. that is. And I know that you, uh, we were talking a little bit before the call and how you were telling me that you, before this, you were a school counselor and that means to me that you have seen and experienced a lot with teachers, with students, with parents. And um, I would love to hear the connection with with your work, what you experienced, and then why did you, what is the regulated classroom? Why did you start it? So where do you want yeah. to start? Yeah, no, I'd be happy to start with that question. That's a great question. And it, there is a direct connection there. So um Six years ago, I was working as a student assistance counselor, which is a little different than a school counselor, but I was supporting students who um, actually were struggling with substance misuse. And one of the things that I noticed is that um, many of them had this common thread of trauma in their history. 
And that was a word at that time that was starting to get used a lot and thrown a lot around a lot in clinical work. And um, even though I'm a school, I was a school counselor for many years, I also always wanted to be more effective at my job. So I often took clinical trainings, even though I didn't deliver clinical services, you know, but just to see how I could adapt things. And so I um, went to Bessel van der Kolk's uh, conference in 2016 here in Boston. And um, it was there that I first sat in a session with Dr. Peter Levine, who is the person who originated and created um, somatic experiencing. And um, he was talking about how our visceral body experiences are really the drivers of our emotions and our behaviors and our thoughts and our patterns. And it was an incredible light bulb moment for me because I was thinking about all my students and all the many years that I had worked with students to teach them coping skills, like in a very explicit way, and then never understanding why in a moment of dysregulation, of course, I didn't use that language at the time, but in a moment of um, stress, they weren't applying that, those, those skills that we had practiced and that I had taught them. Um, and so that sent me on the journey of wanting to understand everything I could about the somatic experience and how that influences, um, you know, children's development and uh, adults' behavior in response to children's uh, behavioral struggles. Yeah. So that was really the beginning of my journey to to the work that I do now. Mm, yeah. So, um, what kinds of things did you see with some of the some of the students you said you did say um some addiction or yeah yeah so yep so I saw a lot of different things everything from um substance misuse to try and either numb and a a discomfort Mm -hmm. a a distressing in inner experience um and they would describe that too you know that that was the reason um because a lot at the time we were sort of raging in the heroin epidemic here in our state of New Hampshire And, um, so, uh, you know, that was, there was a direct relationship there between some opioid, opioid use and students who were struggling with, um, inner experiences. Mm -hmm. And then I also saw all the things you would, you would regularly see students struggle with in high school where they get referred to the counselor cutting, um, suicidal ideation, suicidal gesturing, um, you know, sort of high levels of, of rampant anxiety that was, um, you know, just uh, sort of unresponsive to traditional talk therapy or unresponsive to traditional medications, depression, that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, and they were, you know, they, the manifestations or how students presented was very varied in many ways. But when you would sit and really listen to them and be with them, Mm -hmm. I could feel it in my body, the dysregulation, and I could hear it. And I also felt like, I knew that I was giving them a really trusting, safe space. I knew they felt comfortable with me, but that wasn't changing things for them. Um, And so I felt sort of at a loss to some extent with how to support them because my traditional training just was insufficient. Yeah. 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 I'm just thinking about how often we just think about, um, I don't know, working on more superficial level, mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. we see, mm-hmm. like behavior and mm-hmm. not really 
going a little bit deeper and yeah. deeper, not in like deeper talk about like the story, although that's important, but you're talking about there's dysregulation happening in the body. And when that happens, it's hard for kids to, to really like you're in the classroom to, to, to just uh, attend to the teacher, to listen, yes. to take in yes. what's going on. And yeah. Yeah. And a lot of students who do struggle with this end up getting labeled pretty early on. You know, um, I mean, I've worked, I've worked, you know, pre-K through grade 12. And so I kind of have seen how this manifests at different grade levels, but certainly in the high school environment, a lot of them would be seen as a discipline issue or a discipline problem or a truant student or, you know, they were just kind of cast offs, if you will, to the system. The system found them frustrating to work with, but they didn't really you know, in a lot of questioning, when you would talk to students, a lot of the administration or the teachers would say to them, well, like, I don't understand why you're making these choices. You know, why, why can't you be making better choices? And there was just not a curiosity about what's under these, these behaviors and these choices. Yeah. You nailed it. There was no <laughs> curiosity about what's behind it. I noticed that too, even with in the past, you know, going to doctors or whatever, no curiosity, what's behind yeah. it. And I, yeah. sometimes I think it's just because they don't have an answer or they don't have time or they don't have, I don't know, but yeah. So yeah. Well, and yeah. And I think that the, it's par partly that. And I also think that um, at least it was my experience. And I know I've heard this from people that I train and work with that um, we are really very inculcated in, in public education in a behaviorist paradigm. And so it's just, it's just, it's just in everything. It's in the bones of our systems and the way we do process and procedures in schools. We always assume that people have an active choice at hand. Um, and so if they're, they're not making the good choice that they're, they're entirely, um, it's entirely volitional. Yeah. Yes. So yeah, it's, I mean, and <laughs> once I started learning this science and learning about the work of Bessel, cause he was one of the first that I really studied. And then Peter's work, Dr. Levine's work and stuff. Um, I was like on fire. I was like, and then I, I kind of stumbled into the trauma-informed schools movement that was just starting to gain traction. This was in 2016. Um, but it was like, I was, screaming from the rooftops like we've got to think about these things differently we've got to approach these things differently and people were just um obstinate about it just like really defense mobilized if you want to use some dr porges language i didn't come to the polyvagal stuff until later but yeah um so i just had to i had to jump ship and get out and and start educating educators about about what i had learned so that they might too be um you know inspired to want to think and do things differently. Wow. Even, even having a trauma informed understanding of their responses when you just said like the defensiveness. Wow. Yeah. So yeah. interesting. So let's talk about then um, this, this, the regulated classroom um, trauma informed teaching. So tell us about it. What is it and what is the purpose of it? Yeah. So it's, um, thank you for the question, um, because it is one of those things where it's oftentimes, I, th I think I finally gotten it to, you know, boiled it down to something that I can describe that is easy to, to access and understand, but there is a lot underneath it. Um, so it's a framework is essentially what it is. And it consists of four core practices, um, connectors, activators, settlers, and affirmations. 
And then there's two essential educator capacities that I'm trying to help um, educators refine as opposed to skills to build. Um, I mean, I really feel like one of the things that str- struggle for me is to explain my work and to honor the somatic perspective of trauma and stress and resilience um, without diluting that too much. But when you do talk in those terms too much, people, you sometimes people are like, what do you mean nervous system? Or what are you talking about with dysregulation? I've never heard that phrase before. Right. And so then you start, you know, so (laughs) I'm always struggling to try and, um, be very cognizant of the language, but also find language that bridges, um, gaps in understanding. And so anyways, it's, it's a framework and it's, it's something that I've developed to try to give educators something that's quick to access. Meaning like if they're noticing their own stress, ideas immediately in their in their back pocket, if you will, to be able to engage in co-regulatory practices with students and like when to use those. Um, and the educator capacities are about helping them essentially strengthen both their physiological resilience, but also their relational capacity, um, capacity to be that safe, trusting adult for kids. So, you know, it's really actually the framework is is really focused primarily on the educator's nervous system first and foremost. Um, you know, because people used to ask that question a lot, like, well, you know, this with this trauma-informed movement, like, where do we start? And da 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 da. And I've always thought, you know, we we need to start with us, the adults, because mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I know a lot of educators feel pretty hopeless and discouraged. Like, how am I supposed to change this giant system that's broken? And I feel like if we can start with ourselves and recognize that there's a ripple effect that we can facilitate, you know, and that we can share with others and it starts in our own nervous systems. I feel like that's um, a really hopeful place to, to begin the work from. Totally. And, uh, can I stop you there? Cause I, please, sorry. No, I <laughs> love it. I'm listening and I just love it. And I wanted to just say that, you know um, yeah, I mean, I think logically we would think, at first, yeah, well, help the kids, you know, help them to be calmer and to feel better because they're traumatized. Da, 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 da. But, you know, it is true. When you think about it, it is such a huge thing. And for many of these children, and I'll think of myself as someone who went to school who didn't have a safe place or a co-regulating adult to feel safe with, teachers are the educators are that person or have the potential to be that person for this 100%. child. Yeah. Yeah. And so what a difference. I've had people ask me many times, well, didn't you have, like I, they may say, oh, I have a, I had a teacher and she took interest and she was so loving or he was so kind and he was attuning. And I was like, no, Yeah. had I had that, what a difference it could have made. So right. I, I had to stop you there. Continue. Oh, no, I love that you stopped me there. I love that you stopped me there. And ex- exactly what you're saying. I mean, my my child experiences were similar in mm-hmm. that way. Um, you know, I did. I actually didn't go into education or to be a school counselor because I had one that was like <laughs> supportive. I went in because I was like, we need people who want to do this work, you know, do this work. Um, but you're exactly right. And so for me, even if it's only, you know, in the work that I do, I do feel like I have the honor of being able to help people understand their own personal experiences differently and to, in many ways, reinterpret their own ways of being. Um, that's, 
I think, validating, affirming, and transformative. At least that's what folks say. And um, that's what it was for me to learn about this science. It helped to it helped me to reinterpret my own yeah. being. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. Absolutely. And I think that's a I think that's a, I think that's a definite stop along the way of the the the, the healing journey. I think that's a that's a very um, that's an initial stop is to be able to do that. Oh yeah, and that changes so much and opens the door for some self compassion. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Exactly. So that's that's great. So you're able to help the educators and teachers understand a little bit of what's happening when they find internally that they're feeling a response maybe to what's happening in the classroom internally and recognizing that. Yeah, and I mean I I would say too that you know, I wrote this approach and published it in February of 2020. So I actually was training in it for a couple of years before I decided to publish the guidebook and develop the tool, the sensory toolkit that goes with it. But I, um, I can't begin to tell you how much more important it's become since the pandemic. And for a lot of educators, they have felt like they are failure or they are lacking in, you know, um, or they're weak or fragile as a result of their own stress level um, through this last two and a half years, you know, I mean, I mean, educators are just, uh, really at their wits end many and, and, or if they're not at their wits end, they notice that their, their, their window of tolerance is, has narrowed significantly. And they feel personally ashamed about that. Um, because there is a lot of pressure in the profession to get it right, to do it right. Um, and so when I help them to understand, like, actually, you've adapted in a completely understandable manner, given what you've been through. This is your body's way of adapting uh, to, to essentially be able to sustain in your work. They feel like, oh, right. Oh, okay. Like, I'm not crazy. I'm not, you know, stupid. I'm not, um, you know, a failure. I'm not um, less than, you know what I mean? It's, it's very, yeah, it's, it's very helpful for them. If you'd like to find out more about trauma recovery coaching with me, you can visit my website at thehealingtraumapodcast.com. There you'll find a variety of ways that we could work together. So let's talk about it a little bit. So what what kinds of things will you do with the teachers to help mm. them understand what's happening? Yeah. In the nervous system. Yeah. So those, you know, I mentioned that there's two essential educator capacities. And the first one is called tracking state, which is, you know, something that is um, identified in many other modalities of clinical work, actually. It's not really in school counseling per se, but, um, or in education, I've never seen it in any other curricular materials. But, you know, f- the first thing I'm always doing with them, and I say this at the beginning of a training is, I just want you as much as you possibly can to be alive in whatever's coming up for you the minute that we start here. You know, I mean, I might start them with a connector practice that has them greeting one another and sharing names and common interests and stuff. But I'm asking them over and over and over again to pay attention to the quality of their experience. And so a lot of them will say like, well, I hate this, (laughs) you know, or I'm uncomfortable or this doesn't feel right or this doesn't feel good. And I'm like, good. 
pay attention to that. I, you know, I'm not looking to shift their state initially. I'm just looking for them to be alive in their inner experience because I can't even begin to describe Monique how the, the, the percentage of educators walking around completely numbed out, completely dissociated from their body um, because the work has required that of them. And so, you know, even just bringing back that sensation of like, oh, I feel like a tightness in my chest or my heart rate picked up or whatever, or my palms began to sweat. I'm like, I love this. That is so great. So is <laughs> and they're a, like, is this a training that you're doing with yes, before or yes, is this? Yes. So what I do, what I do is I provide what's known as professional development, which is what every educator in the United States, at least in but I do have clients in Canada, they require in order to maintain their certification mm -hmm. or their licensure. Mm -hmm. So I provide professional development and I do it in a way that's experiential. So I'm actually doing my framework with them and helping them to um, deepen their self-awareness in the process. Um, so we go through, you know, so the four core practices, each of those practices have different qualities of the practice that make them a connector or make them a settler. Um, and so the connectors and the affirmations are practices that are about cultivating and repairing relationships. So that's really, you know, the connectors are like play-based oftentimes, um, or they're, or they're rooted in relational practices like circle practice, you know, that kind of thing. And, the, and it's trying to equip these educators with how to embed cues of safety in the classroom and in their relationships and between students and with students. And then activators and settlers are, are exclusively focused on the nervous system. So activators are all collective rhythm making practices that generate a sense of collective synchrony and, and synchronize the nervous system. Because I actually talk also about the collective nervous system, which isn't often acknowledged, but it's a very alive phenomenon in a classroom. So I'm, I'm helping them understand why would you do collective rhythm making and with great frequency and for how long and when and that sort of thing. Oh, nice. And then this, yeah, to upregulate, to upregulate. Mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm. um, and then, and then the down, the down regulation is the settling practices. So I, I pull in, you know, ancient traditions of, you know, yoga and Qigong and meditation and mindfulness and um, self holds and self touch and all different kinds of practices to help them find what works for them to downregulate. Um, and then the affirmations are in contrast to the, the, the positive behavior intervention supports model. That's very common right now across the world, really. Um, or in first for, you know, first developed countries in their educational systems. Um, affirmations are about reinforcing positive associations with experience. So right now, the primary way we try to reshape behavior is through rewards and punishment. And there's been more emphasis on the explicit rewards, um, but I, you know, in praise, and I think that those things may have their place, but affirmation practices in the regulated classroom are about embodied gratitude and really, really holding space and time for that with your students. Um, I love that. I can feel that inside. Feel so oh. good. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And so these are, yeah, these are the things that I'm trying to help them to experience and to understand how to apply and to recognize that they don't need to just do this in their classrooms with kids. They also need to do this in their staff meetings with one another. Um, to build a, and 
an environment relationally and physically that is conveying cues of safety, that they can feel safe um, together and that they know, they know how to go about bringing about a, a felt sense of safety. Wow. That is beautiful. Thank you. So, so that would help the teachers first to feel yeah. safety. So do you do work as well with the kids? Like do you So teach I mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually do not. So um I have stopped doing any kind of direct instruction with students um for the regulated classroom. I'm in, I am entirely focused or the regulated classroom framework is entirely focused on the educator. However, the practices are intended to be used with the students. So it does have student benefit. And I also have a sensory toolkit that is um, that people just rave about because it's a, it's like the highest quality sensory tools that are on the market that I specifically selected for educators, but there's enough items in each toolkit to share with students. But the idea is that the teachers receive this or the educator receives this and they start using it. And through the process of modeling, they're teaching students how to use sensory tools in order to help them regulate their body's state. So what are the sensory tools? So there are a variety of things. Um, I have some weighted products in there. Um, Capable weighted products is the best of the best on the market. So I have a beautiful scarf that's in there that teachers can wear. And I have a magnetic focus fidget um, that they use. Um, There's several different manipulatives that um, are different kinds of fidgets that are discreet and quiet hand fidgets. Um, I have, you know, a material called mad matter. um, That's a, that's a manipulative material. Um, I have essential oils in there, two kinds. I have a roller ball so that teachers can work on the um, fascia of their shoulders and their neck and their back um, themselves, because this is where we tend to, to accumulate the stress, right? Um, there's like stretchy noodles, which actually really helps them to work the back, you know, this, all this yes. stuff in the back, because oh, that's, boy. you know, becomes like a feedback loop where you can't, actually exhale deeply or inhale deeply because you're so tight and constricted everywhere. So, yeah. So the tools are really about helping the body to, um, shift, you know, how it's holding, how you're holding yourself. Um, and, and also to give the body inputs. Um, I'm, you know, my training is also rooted in a somatosensory functioning perspective. So also provide the body with inputs that help us feel more regulated. And we oftentimes don't have enough of that in the classroom environment. So yeah, that's, that's the toolkits. There's 13 different items. Um, but there's, there's actually 29 individual items when you count them all together, because some of them come in multi-packs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just love it because I, it, I just think as a, I'm not a teacher, but if I was on the receiving end as a teacher, the message I'm just getting is like, that you really care. You really care about what's happening to us inside. And, and, and I just love, I love that. And I think as you would do with, let's say a a parent that has a dysregulated child, we often are focusing on the child, but I think by settling the adult or helping the adult to learn how to settle their own system, Mm -hmm. then it impacts the, the child. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And you're exactly right. I mean, I just was able to finish a statewide um, rollout of my program in the state of New Hampshire, where I am, 
the New Hampshire Department of Education decided to invest some of their ESSER funds in my program. And the response has been incredible and remarkable. But one of the things that is we hear over and over again is this is the first time. And some people say this, like this is the first time in 35 years of teaching that anyone has actually asked me about or cared about my experience. Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. Which is like, really? (laughs) I mean, I get that because I was in those shoes and I knew that like nobody was paying attention to the adults, but it's like, you think about the collective trauma of school shootings and that phenomenon in the U S or you think about just all the different kinds of day-to-day tragedies that people endure in school environments. And then you have a pandemic on top of that. And nobody has asked these people, how are you doing? I mean, it's like, and, and think about it. It's one teacher to how many students? On top exactly. Of it's like, exactly. Yeah. And, and yeah, um, yeah. I'm, I'm just yeah. thinking about that. And it's true. You know, even as, as parents, the focus is on often the kid, the kid, the child, the child. How yes. and, and then it's like, yeah, right. not much. Right. 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 Yeah. Yes. But anybody with a family systems perspective knows that that's not really that's not the whole picture, <laughs> but you're absolutely right. I mean, we are overly focused in, on the individual children and them being the source of the issue, as opposed to, you know, that dynamic interplay between the adult and the child. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I'm guessing that you, uh, I don't know, but do you go into some kind of training about trauma? And trauma? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. 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 No, absolutely. So, I offer different kinds of training, professional development. There's everything from like an on-demand webinar that I'm not, I'm not actively part of that, but I do have, um, depends on the client, depends on where I'm training, but I I go all the way up to a train the trainer certificate program that I have. Um, And in that program in particular, but in all of them, I am absolutely um, sharing and um, educating teachers and educators about things like the work of Dr. Stephen Porges and his polyvagal theory. I mean, my work is really rooted in his, and he's been a a mentor of mine now for three years. And um, I really believe in his, his particular perspective and his science. And, um, and I've found it personally transformative. So most people resonate with that powerfully when they learn about that. Um, and then I also am deeply rooted in the work of Dr. Bruce Perry, too, and um, a lot of the tenets of his neurosequential model. Um, my, my work is somewhat built on that as well, especially his sequence of engagement. But yes, I talk to, the, I, you know, I teach people about ACEs. I teach people about stress, trauma, and resilience. And I teach people about um, also somatosensory integration and somatosensory processing so people can understand that. Um, this body that we live in is very powerful and has been evolving to um, help us survive for thousands upon thousands of years. And there's a real wisdom in it. And there's also a real autonomy, not autonomy, but um, what's, there's an automaticity about our bodies in certain experiences that we can't always override. Um, and so, yeah, I teach them about all that kind of stuff. That's and, so good. And that last yeah. part you just said, because, you know, as we started in the beginning, often we see it as the behavior and as the, what, you know, what they're doing wrong and understanding the automaticity. Well, I can't say it properly, but the automatic responses that happen in our autonomic nervous system, that is not always a choice. 
Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And that is the crux of what's really the challenge to the current existing paradigm of how we function is that, is that piece, you know, and sometimes people really want to be able to, um, you know, discern that, you know, they're like, well, how can I tell if the kid is doing this on purpose or not doing on this per- on the purpose? And I'm always like, well, let's go back to you. What's going on for you when this child does this? You know, what do you notice in your nervous system, in your body experience? Um, yeah. Yeah. So it's, um, it is, like I've said, it is something that I feel is, is helpful for most people because it's affirming and validating. Um, but at the same time, it's also challenging. It's challenging the way they've been trained and it's also challenging the existing paradigms they work in. Um, you know, you used uh, the word, which I now know because I'm also training in, um, SE somatic experiencing, and it's so important, but why is felt safety, would you say, like such a problem today? And how does it relate to individual and collective collective trauma? Mm. Yeah, well, <laughs> pand- oh, that's a big question. Yeah, um, and, yeah, no, that's a big question. Well, I mean, the way that I have experienced these last two years, um, two and a half years rather, is that we had this looming threat that was a lethal threat with the virus, but not everybody experienced that threat the same, right? Just like we wouldn't in other experiences either, you know, we all have our own individual perceptions of things, but because it was global and there was actions that needed to be taken to thwart the spread of the virus, um, it, it defense mobilized the vast majority of us collectively at a collective level. And the way that we can know that is because we can see that all of the markers of human distress have increased during that time. So mental, quote unquote, mental illness and diagnoses and suicidality and overdoses. And I mean, just you name it, Um, even, even, um, you know, the the amount of people dying that didn't have COVID that died. Um, There was just an incredible increase in, in human, overall human distress and, and um, Mm -hmm. so in suffering. So, um, that has disrupted what happened and what we had to do to thwart the threat of the virus just shattered our sense of felt safety. I mean, I talk about this too in the, in the, in the trainings that I do, I, I help people to remember, like, I remember going to the grocery store during that time and standing in a line outside for like an hour to get into bare shelves and how much that doesn't go away. You know what I mean? Like that was very scary to me. Um, to see how disrupted our supply chain was in a very short period of time and how much, if there wasn't enough food, how ugly things could get, you know? So things like that. And that's, and that's also played out into our, that um, also played out into our politics. And so the, the polarization that we see right now in people and how distrusting people are of one another, that's all in my opinion, relates back to our collective shattering of a felt sense of safety. Um, so the, the collective nervous system is really dysregulated, if you will. And the only way to counter that is to infuse it with an abundance of cues of safety. Um, and it's very hard to go from a state of that kind of defense mobilization to a state of regulation. You know what I mean? But we would we need to do it in our educational systems because if we, do, if we don't, we have a long 
longstanding issue looking forward of interrupted development for the children. And um, also we have systems that are in crisis because there aren't enough people who want to go into the profession or stay in the profession. So that, that creates its own feedback loop of stress. So, you know, that's, I mean, that's sort of my bite-sized answer to that question, but it's, um, I think many of us can just attest to the fact that you can feel it. Like you can feel that the world feels different, Mm -hmm. um, in your body. Mm -hmm. And like, I find myself right now, like tomorrow is election day here for us. Mm -hmm. And I am like, all I want to do is flee. Like, I just want to get out of town. Like I, and it's so funny because I'm not somebody who is, um, who up to this point in recent years, I'm not somebody who didn't want to participate in, you know, that legislative process or that um, civic process. But for me, the stress associated with it, my body just wants to like, not even go to the polls, you know what I mean? Cause I'm so, Mm -hmm. so activated by it. So, and it's just, it's a tenor that you feel and your body picks up on. So yeah, that's, yeah, that would be the way I would respond to that question. Yeah. And that makes so much sense because um, the way you explained it with the, def- the the nervous systems going into that defensive, because it was a threat that was there. I mean, the yeah. potential for you can get really sick. You can end up in the hospital. You could pass away. You could, and just not like the not knowing was really hard and a lot. Like, when are we going to go back to work? And the restaurant yes. was closed. Yes. We, had, we actually had, um, there was, I don't know if it was one day or more, but we had a curfew. Like we had a curfew. We were worried about getting yes. a ticket if they saw us that I was leaving my daughter's house. And I mean, just all these things that you didn't experience before. And it's still kind of there. I mean, obviously it's better now, right. but it's still lurking in the back. So we've, yeah. Well, that's that residue, right? That's that residue that I think is still fueling the collective nervous system of for protection. Um, and yeah, we've really got to interrupt that cycle because it's a feedback loop and will only worsen unless we do something actively to counter it. So, um, I talk a lot about the need to just move towards recovery. You know, what does that really mean? And it does mean infusing our schools with cues of safety I love and that. yeah. And yeah. So that's what I'm trying to help people understand how to do with the regulated classroom. Just love it. Just love it. So if Thank people- you want to find out more about this i mean i will link i'll link your website and i'll link um yeah i'll link that in the show notes so people could find find out so is there anything else you want to say before we close no i mean i just if people are curious about it i do encourage them to come to the website and look at it there's a lot of resources that are within the website too so it's not just you know my guidebook or my training or my toolkit there's also a lot of information there about polyvagal theory. There's mm-hmm. a, a massive list of resources of books for people to, to read or podcasts. Like, so if anything that I've said makes them curious, you know, has triggered some curiosity for them, I'd encourage them to check out the resources that are there. Cause there are a lot of free ones as well, but um, I'm also always happy to respond to emails if people are wanting to talk or connect about things. So definitely would encourage people to reach out. And we're on Instagram. So we're trying to build our little Instagram following. <laughs> I'm so 47. Like I had to hire a younger woman to figure this out for me because I'm like, I'm Facebook. Like I don't get the Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Tell but, me about it. <laughs> well, no, you, you have figured that out, but I have not. And I don't so know how I did, to, but I know, I know you, you did. 
Yeah, you did. Honey. Um, I feel like the yeah. old granny there, you know? <laughs> I know, right? So um, yeah, Love visit, it. come and follow us on Instagram or follow us on Facebook and see what, what work I'm doing and um, engage in the community that we're building. Yeah, I, I actually have one of my very close friends um, is a principal here where I live. And she's talked to me over the years. She has a, a huge heart for the kids and she's seen so much. We've talked about trauma. And um, as soon as I told her that you were coming on and she's like, send me, send me. So I will definitely send her your way. Um, I know yeah. she'd be interested in learning more. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be wonderful. 